Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network Growing Weekend Review for February 18, 2024. Today we're talking with Benjamin Borosian. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Benjamin. Hello, Aspet. Hello, Hovik. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Same. Great to have you on the show. Okay, let's dive into our first topic immediately because I know we have limited time to record today. Let's set up this past week's political context real quick. Earlier this week, four of our soldiers were shot dead on the border near Nerkin Hunt when Azerbaijan opened fire, alleging that they were retaliating against Armenians, firing at them the previous day. When Azerbaijan made these allegations, Pashinyan and Suren Babikyan, the defense minister, responded that they would investigate the possible violation of their rules, that Armenian soldiers will not fire on Azerbaijan, and if true, they will prosecute the soldiers. Later, they claimed that Azerbaijan had made false claims, but serious damage was done already to Armenia's credibility. Even the EU foreign policy head Borrell gave Azerbaijan a huge boost by accepting the unproven allegations that Armenians had shot first at Azerbaijanis the day before and labeling the incident as, quote, deplorable, unquote, before saying that he thinks Azerbaijan's bloody murder of four Armenians seems to be a disproportionate response. While this happened in Armenia, Mirzoyan was in Luxembourg, and now he and Pashinyan and Babikyan are in Munich for the annual Munich Security Conference. Alen Simonian, meanwhile, was on an official visit to Bulgaria. To me, it seems like this government is completely detached from the realities on the ground. And we're not even going to have time to address the domestic drama of ministers and deputy ministers being fired and jailed or under house arrest, and opposition leaders held as political prisoners. Benjamin, some analysts are predicting new, localized, and even large-scale fighting. What's your assessment, since Aliyev's so-called re-election as president a couple of weeks ago, of the situation on the ground right now? Thank you, Aspet. To be short, I don't see any ground why Azerbaijan is going to sign any agreement with Armenia. Framework agreement, comprehensive agreement, or whatever agreement. I don't see any ground for that. And yes, I believe that at least limited scale escalation, but limited, it does not mean limited as we had in Nerkin Hunt, probably even much bigger, close to what happened in Jermug in September 2022, or in 2021, incursions into Armenia, they are quite likely in coming months. Why? Again, to be very short, why Azerbaijan is not interested to sign any agreement? Because A, President Aliyev needs the image of external enemy to continue to rally Azerbaijani population around his family rule for this new era, as he described the post-2023 era for Azerbaijan. And in this new era, most probably, the concept of Western Azerbaijan, or the restoration of Western Azerbaijan, which is de facto means bringing Azerbaijanis into Armenia, at least bringing them, if not occupying part of Armenia, will become the central part of this new era, and will become the pillar of this new deal to rally Azerbaijani population around President Aliyev. To make the long story short, I believe President Aliyev will do everything to transform or to make the concept of Western Azerbaijan or the establishment of Western Azerbaijan the next national dream, as was the liberation of Nagorno-Karabakh, upon which he came to power in 2003. And he said, okay, guys, you will tolerate whatever... I and my family is doing and I will realize our national dream. Our flags again will be in Shushi and Stepanakert. Of course, he used other names of the cities, but I don't want to use the Azerbaijani names. Now, 
President Aliyev needs new deal, new national dream to secure his and probably his wife or his son's rule for another 20 years. This is the domestic political reasons mm-hmm. why President Aliyev is not interested to sign any agreement because any agreement with Armenia will significantly decrease the possibility to use Armenia as an external enemy, the image of Armenia, and to continue to push forward for this Western Azerbaijan concept. And from a foreign policy perspective, okay, several reasons, but probably the number one is, let's not forget that starting from 1918, when first time the so-called Azerbaijan Democratic Republic was established or declared its independence in May 1918, 106 years ago, immediately there was a clear vision, both in Turkey, which, by the way, was behind the creation of Azerbaijan, and also among Azerbaijani leaders, that Azerbaijan and Turkey should have land border. So this was a dream or national agenda starting from 1918. Two years of turmoil in South Caucasus, Azerbaijan and Turkish goal to have land border between each other. They failed, also because of Garagin Then Armenia-Azerbaijan became part of Soviet Union and Turkey forgot about this dream and Azerbaijan was Sovietized, so okay. And after 1945, Turkey was in another side of Iron Curtain. Definitely no chances to defeat or destroy Soviet Union. 1991, Soviet Union collapsed and these dreams again have were revitalized. First, Nagorno-Karabakh war, again, Armenia's victory, and Azerbaijan and Turkey became uh, separated by more than 200 kilometers. 2020, Nagorno-Karabakh second war, and September 2023, military takeover of Nagorno-Karabakh. So now, in its narrowest path in the Vyodzor region, only approximately 25 kilometers divides Azerbaijan from Turkey. I mean, Azerbaijan from Nakhijavan, but Nakhijavan itself has a land border with Turkey. Mm-hmm. So from any logic, if you have a dream to have common border between Azerbaijan and Turkey, starting from 1918, and in the last 106 years, now you haven't been ever closer to realize your dream as now, because only 25 kilometers in Vyodzor region separate you from your century-old dream, to think that for whatever reason, Azerbaijan or Turkey will... Uh, drop out their dream and will say, okay, let's have a peace, normal relation with Armenia, trade, economic, prosperity, cooperation, and etc. And let's forget about the establishment of uh, land border between Azerbaijan and Turkey. Okay, for me, it sounds science fiction. So right. This is a, one of the foreign policy reasons why Azerbaijan does not need agreement. And again, if there is an agreement, of course, someone will say, yes, Azerbaijan may sign agreement, but nobody pay any attention to any agreements. Azerbaijan may sign agreement, and next day Azerbaijan may attack and open the corridor. Yes, of course, now we are in the transition period of global order, and definitely agreements now have less significance or importance or meaning than before. But again, any agreement with Armenia, again, will restrict Azerbaijan's and Turkey's flexibility also on this area of creating common border. So, relations are quite likely. At least limited scale in the scale of something which we saw in 2021-2022 incursions into Armenia proper. Yeah, so both Russia and Europe have tolerated this dictator. So what is Armenia's leadership doing in Europe when the security situation in Armenia is, even according to Pashinyan himself, at a critical juncture? I would say 
it's not an issue why Armenian leadership is doing in Europe or what the hell Armenia's government is doing in Munich Security Conference. Definitely, you should have multidimensional foreign policy, especially in these crazy times. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, one thing is very clear. If tomorrow Azerbaijan launches another attack against Armenia, I have great doubts that the Europe and the United States will do something tangible on the ground. Yes, there could be calls, like statements, condemnations. Even, I don't believe, but even let's assume that some sort of mild sanctions for ticking the boxes will put on Azerbaijan. I don't believe it will happen, but let's assume even it happens. But again, neither Europe nor the United States will do nothing on the ground to kick out Azerbaijani troops from the territories if Azerbaijan is successful and is able to take more Armenian territories. Will Russia do? It's a big question. Frankly speaking, uh, I don't know. But at least if I compare what Russia's reaction may be and what US and Europe Russia's may, may be, at least Russia have troops on the ground. Let's not forget that Russian troops are on Sunik. And they appeared in Sunik first time in October 2020 when we asked them come to the Sunik to be deployed along the former soviet Armenia soviet azerbaijan border, hoping that they may stop Azerbaijani troops to enter proper Armenia territory when Azerbaijan broke our defense lines in Nagorno-Karabakh. Okay, it's speculative to say in 2020, Azerbaijanis didn't open the corridor by force or didn't enter the Sunik or part of Sunik because of Russian few Russian troops with Russian flags were deployed or because for other reasons, or maybe they don't have any intention, nobody can answer to that question, but at least we have Russian troops in Sunik. Of course, there are some experts who are telling that, yes, these Russian troops will join Azeris and jointly will destroy Armenia. Uh, I, I don't think so. So at least from this perspective, if US and Europe will do nothing, at least Russian troops are in Armenia and they may do nothing. But again, no guarantee. So from my perspective, if we are trying to fix the probability, let's assume military attack against Armenia, who will be involved by military means? Again, no condemnations, no statements, no United Nations Security Council extraordinary meeting, which is France is uh, very skillful to organize or whatever. I'm speaking about concrete actions on the ground to stop Azerbaijani advancements. And if Azerbaijani troops are successful to penetrate into Armenia, to push them out of Armenia. European Union, EU member states, United States, nothing. Russia have doubts, maybe yes, maybe no. Iran, maybe yes, maybe no. But probably the most likely are Iran reactions, that they may do something militarily. Why? Because, again, they are very close to Armenia. They have borders deployed along Iran-Armenia, Iran-Azerbaijan and Iran -Azerbaijan border. And they have troops right there. They have troops, yes. They, they, they have troops. And also, even in, through this all escalations in this after uh, October 7th Middle East crisis, this Red Sea crisis and etc., and also... Iran's military strikes against Pakistan. Iran shows that, okay, if they believe that their vital national interests are under danger, they are ready to use military force. Mm -hmm. And they are not afraid right. of, oh, look, this is United States, oh, it's a nuclear power, you should do nothing. No. If they believe that this is against their vital national interests, they are ready to use force. And they are ready to use force even indirectly, even against United States, United Kingdom, and definitely if they are ready to use even indirectly force against US, UK, or whatever other countries is, then Azerbaijan definitely is much easier target. So from probability, number one is Iran, number two Russia, and then almost zero is Europe and United States. But to tell, okay, Russia will do something, 30% will do, 70% will not do, Iran, 
70% will do, 30% will not do. Uh, I believe no one can say this. Even now, if you ask uh, Russian foreign minister, Mr. Lavrov, okay, what Russia will do if tomorrow Azerbaijan launched large-scale attack against Armenia, Mr. Lavrov will say, I don't know, because this type of decision, I mean military, real military engagement, for example, Russian troops against Azerbaijan, or even Iranian troops against Azerbaijani troops, this will be decided at the top level. I mean, President Putin, probably supreme leader. Well, it's, it's certainly uh, questionable whether Russia would do anything when you're threatening to arrest their president. We'll talk about Armenia's adoption of membership in ICC or ratification of the ICC uh, membership. But speaking of the multidimensional uh, foreign policy, uh, in Munich, Pashinyan met with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, MI6 chief Richard Moore, President of Iraqi Kurdistan, and others. He also met with Aliyev in a trilateral format with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Although Aliyev said that it was a bilateral format and Scholz was just initiating and he left the room. Allegedly, also, Azerbaijan has pledged to resolve differences without new violence. Haha. <laughs> Meanwhile, former President Ser Sarkisian warned that our, uh, Pashinyan is agreeing to new concessions to Azerbaijan. In a few sentences, can you summarize what uh, the outcomes of the trip to Munich? What can we expect? What was achieved? Uh, what wasn't achieved? Okay, on Armenia-Azerbaijan relations, I don't think anything was achieved, and I don't think that anything can be achieved. All these statements about, yes, they are closed, they agreed to restore negotiations, etc. Look, we heard all of this many times after 2020. I can recall many meetings in Brussels, April 2022, May 2022, August 2022. And by the way, let's not forget that less than two weeks after August 31 meeting in Brussels, August 31, 2022, Azerbaijan launched large-scale incursion into Armenia and was very close to enter Jermuk, resort city in Armenia. While if you read the statements after August 31 meeting in Brussels, 2022, August 31 meeting in Brussels, they were even rosier than statements after 2024 Munich Security Conference. So I think no one should uh, buy anything or pay any attention that, okay, they agreed on something or President Ali will not do something or will do something. Of course, maybe, yes, you cannot say I don't want to meet President Ali, but it's a different story. But what was for me a little bit strange is a meeting with uh, Foreign Intelligence Service or MI6 of uh, UK, and not only because it's a Foreign Intelligence Service of the United Kingdom, but as far as I understand, it's not usual for head of states to meet with uh, directors of foreign countries, foreign intelligence services. Usually, the head of security services, they are meeting with each other. So if director of national security service of Armenia is meeting with uh, director of MI6, of course, it's also strange because let's not forget that at least the euro is still Armenia is a Russia's ally, while United Kingdom and its security services are one of the most prominent supporters of this idea of strategic defeat of Russia. Even if director of Armenian National Security Service would meet director of UK6, it would be strange. But at least we may say that, okay, guys, even Russian Foreign Intelligence Service Director Narishkin sometimes have secret meetings in Turkey with uh, CIA director. So this is, if not cooperation, but some intelligence sharing or whatever. But again, it's not usual for head of foreign state to meet with the director of foreign intelligence service itself. Even if, for example, even if tomorrow President Macron will meet director of MI6, it will be a little bit strange while they are in the same military alliance, NATO, etc., etc. Uh, so 
put it this way, like uh, it's surprising. So this is the at least the second meeting with Richard Moore. Who yeah, is the first staunch... two plays, I believe, in December 2022. Right. Exactly. And who is a staunch pan-Turkist. I mean, he has served as uh, the attaché, I believe, in the uh, you know Turkish embassy in... Or even uh, ambassador, I guess. I'm not sure, but yes. He's or maybe, he, yes. he was an ambassador to Turkey. Yes. Yes. He was an ambassador. And he has, he, he has met with the CIA chief at least once before. And, you know, I'm going to ask, this is a rumor, at least, you know, well, from, from my perspective, there are rumors that, uh, you know, CIA and MI6 are overseeing the creation of Armenia's new foreign intelligence service. Is there any uh, facts to this rumor? Or, you know, what can you tell us about this? Hey, I can say that, yes, there are rumors that MI6 and CIA are somehow supporting, if I may use this term, to create Armenia's, or they have supported to create, because it officially, this service is created, the Armenian Foreign Intelligence Service, somehow to put it outside Russian control, because in the West, it's not a secret. In the West, there is a clear perception that Armenia's National Security Service was too much connected with uh, Russian security services, so that is why like, there was an idea that, okay, if the Foreign Intelligence Service will be created within National Security Service, then, more or less, it will again be connected with Russia, so let's establish an independent... So uh, let's connect it with uh, Russia's enemies. <laughs> yes, which, uh, but if this is true, of course, frankly speaking, no one can say this is true or no, but at least if, if this uh, US and UK uh, intelligence service is supporting Armenia to create foreign intelligence service, definitely this is another blow to Armenia-Russia relations, given that especially, okay, in general, but especially after February 2022, US and UK are pushing forward the idea of strategic defeat of Russia. I mean, this all are publicly available information. This not even our speculations or rumors that yes, US and UK at the highest level, they are speaking about Russia should be defeated Russia should face strategic defeat. Of course, if there is a growing cooperation uh, between uh, some part of Armenian security apparatus and US and UK security apparatus, okay, uh, how this can be perceived in Russia? I'm not speaking this is good or bad, okay, because some people may say, okay, uh, don't care what Russia is doing because Russia is our enemy and blah, 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 but I don't want to jump into this type of discussion because then we can continue for hours. Benjamin, one of Pashinyan's meetings was the, with the Prime Minister of Kosovo. During the meeting, he actually referred to his counterpart with the official title Prime Minister of Kosovo. I believe this may be a first time. Uh, so do you think that Armenia may recognize Kosovo's independence soon? At least those were the rumors that came out of this meeting. And what potential benefits and drawbacks uh, could such a move have? I don't exclude uh, that Armenia may recognize Kosovo in a near months. I'm not sure, but I believe all these are part of this, let's put the word uh, gestures towards the ways. The same is, for example, when I believe our Secretary of Security Council, Armin Grigorian, met with Mr. Yermak, the Chief of President Zelensky's staff. Pashinyan himself had a short meeting with Zelensky in Granada, I believe. Then now Armenia is part of the discussions of so-called Ukraine peace formula. And again, I believe Armin Grigorian took part in several meetings. The last one was in Davos. So all this, I believe, is some gestures towards the West that, yes, really, Armenia is interested to make this U-turn in its foreign policy from Russia to the West. And probably the hint that, okay, you should help us more with, I don't know, support, money, technical support or whatever support to like enable us, like we want to make a shift 
but you know that it's very difficult. Russia is a crazy country. Look, he's destroying Ukraine, which is approximately 100 times bigger than Armenia. Can you imagine what Russia can do with Armenia? So we want to make a shift, but we can't do make a shift. But please support us because at the end of the day, maybe we will do a shift. So at least I, my perception is this, that this is a gesture towards the West that, because also West, they are not stupid. They may ask, okay, guys, we are speaking about that. We are ready to make a strategic shift or U-turn from Russia. But again, what are the concrete steps? We didn't even start the official withdrawal of CSTO. Yes, you froze your participation in the CSTO. Also, there are rumors uh, that even the West told Armenia not to leave CSTO now. So there are a lot of disinformation, misinformation. But again, my perception is all this, including the outreach to Ukraine, like sending some humanitarian assistance, first lady, uh, meetings with Yermak, Ukraine, peace formula, Kosovo prime minister, or whatever. Uh, I believe all this, and also including the Armenia's membership into International Criminal Court, ICC, I believe all these are the gestures towards the West that, yes, Armenia is frank in its, uh, like, at least in its thoughts, that Armenia would like to have this strategic shift or U-turn or whatever. Benya, I mean, two countries who were not in Munich were Russia and Iran. Of course, both of them are vital neighbors and allies of Armenia. And both of them have been sounding major alarms of disapproval about Armenia's current foreign policy direction. Frankly, I don't think Armenia would even exist today if it weren't for Iran bearing its teeth in defending its adjacency to Armenia as its own national security interest. Russia's invitations for Armenia to negotiate in Moscow have fallen on deaf ears in Yerevan, while Aliyev has shown no interest in continuing negotiations mediated in the West. After this week's Azeri shootings, uh, Russia again asked both sides to show restraint, but it also warned Armenia that there are grave dangers awaiting it. Can you assess, were Serdyukov's warnings about war on Armenia concerns or threats? Because, um, you know, it certainly set off a public discussion between a couple of Armenian and Russian parliamentarians. I think you may perceive this both as a warning, but any warnings can also be uh, partly a uh, threat. But the fact is fact that, look, Armenia-Russia relations, economically, they are booming. Like, uh, our trade is three, four times bigger than in 2021 for all yeah. these reasons. Significant, huge amount of re-export going from UAE and other countries to Russia. Uh, bilateral trade passed $8 billion in 2023. I believe it's approximately $8.3 billion. Military relations, still, yes, Russian troops based in Yerevan or in Armenia. Some troops in Sunik, border troops are in, still deployed are in, in Armenia, yes. Armenia now buying weapons from India, or at least signed contracts to buy weapons from India. Something right from France, and discussions are on the way for additional uh, weapons. But also, still, let's not forget that most of previous Armenian weapons were Russians, and also somehow Armenian and Russia were able to fix the situation regarding this 2021 agreement of $400 million. Right. At least in late December and early January, early January 2024, late December 2023. Even Armenian officials stated that something has moved or even the most part of the weapons had arrived to Armenia. So economic relations Can are Can I say that I have real concerns about that, Benjamin? Because, you yeah. know, at the same time, they declared all acquisitions or arrivals of weaponry as state secrets. You know, it's really spooky as to why that timing just happened like that. And we don't know exactly what has arrived from Russia to Armenia. So I'm still wondering about that. Yeah, so economic relations are booming. 
military re, military relations and, and, are not I have big. I have serious concern about that as well because all that economic expansion is all re-exports and Europe can stop that at a moment's notice because you know they can say that Armenia is busting the sanctions on Russia so Armenia can basically be blackmailed by the west and Russia itself so all this yes, economic possible. expansion is uh, it, it, i don't know it looks like hot air and to me it's, uh, and it's not only with russia like let's assume uae uae became our third economic partner yeah, in 2023 three or four. that's right more than 2 billion us dollars but this huge inf- hype or uh, was in mostly november december 2023 and more than 90% again re-export of russian diamond or gold i believe so mm-hmm. yes, it's um, not sustainable, but fact is fact. Economic relations are booming. Fully agree it's not sustainable. Military relations are not ruined, at least. We may use maybe stagnation, but political uh, relations have been declined significantly. Yes, Armenia, officially Russia several times invited Armenian foreign minister to Moscow. Zero answer. Also, de facto, Armenia rejects to uh, meet with Russian envoy for Armenia-Azerbaijan negotiation, Mr. Kholayev. For example, we see EU envoy Mr. Toivoklar arriving to Yerevan, US envoy Mr. Louis Bono, our very frequent guest in Yerevan, mm-hmm. while Mr. Khovayev was in Azerbaijan in autumn 2023. Just a few days ago, he was in Baku, but uh, I believe that Mr. Khovayev was not in Yerevan since August 2023. And I don't believe that this is Russia's initiative to send Mr. Khovayev to Azerbaijan to discuss Armenia-Azerbaijan relations, but not sent to Armenia to discuss Armenia-Azerbaijan relations. Most probably, yes, as Armenian uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs does not want to go to Moscow, most probably Armenian government does not want to see a Russian envoy also in Armenia. And this is means that, yes, political ties are in significantly bad shape. What does it mean if economy booms, military ties are more or less okay or a little bit stagnating, and significant decline in political ties? Is this model sustainable? Like, yes, we have boom economic ties, more or less okay with military and downgraded and continues downgraded political ties. Is this sustainable? And what will happen in 2024? Too challenging to say, frankly speaking, because this is a multi-factor environment. And uh, I mean, you need uh, internal institution and a lot of data and maybe even artificial intelligence to analyze all <laughs> these data and come into something. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, um... Pashinyan gave an interview to The Telegraph on February 11, and as usual, it was full of potentially dangerous revelations. Pashinyan again confirmed that Armenia doesn't view membership in the CSTO or any other international security alliance to be in Armenia's strategic interests. This appears to be in line with ideas spread by others, such as Armin Grigorian of the National Security Council, who says that Armenia should pursue a policy of neutrality or non-alignment or uh, I don't know any other word that you can use for that. Uh, during that same interview, Pashinyan was repeatedly asked if Armenia would arrest Putin since Armenia is now a member of the International Criminal Court. Pashinyan doggedly refused a straight response, instead saying that he can't interfere with Armenia's judicial uh, and law enforcement systems. This is uh, rich coming from a guy who was recorded giving instructions to his National Security Service director to arrest his political opponents, namely uh, Robert Kocharyan and Khachaturov. Another Armenian official, Yerisha Kirakosyan, who represents Armenia on international legal stage, admitted that some interpretations of international law could indicate that Armenia must arrest Putin if the latter sets foot on Armenian soil. Russians have warned many times that joining the ICC was an unfriendly act, 
And Peskov again reiterated those claims this week. So uh, going to back to this neutrality concept, isn't guaranteed neutrality what Azerbaijan and Turkey are demanding from Armenia at this stage? And how can this stance be seen to be in line with Armenia's strategy as Pashinyan claims? Okay, uh, to be brief, first on ICC and the rest of any president, everybody knows that the rest of any president in the territory of another country, this is a political decision. So this is a, as clear as it is. And it applies to every country. Like if any president will be arrested in the United States, and we know that in the United States, presumably, judiciary is more or less independent from the executive branch and etc. But if any president, I mean, acting, functioning president, not former president, if any president will be arrested in the United States, in France, in Germany, in UK, in Australia, I don't know, in China, Russia at the end of the day, including Armenia, if any president, of acting president of any country, is arrested in another country, this is a political decision, and this is as clear as it is. Regarding the concept of neutrality, I mean, no one, I hope, uh, that uh, no one with at least conventional wisdom believes that Armenia can become a neutral country and survive at least in foreseeable future. So I don't even want to spend time on discussing neutrality, like let Armenia becoming next Austria. And people are discussing when the neutral countries like Finland just joined NATO, why Finland was in much more secure uh, environment than Armenia, even after all these hype that, okay, Russia is going to destroy Europe or Russian tanks will reach Berlin and other science fiction. So new, new neutrality, I don't want even to discuss. Non-block status, like, okay, let's leave the STO, let's not join NATO. And by the way, people are telling, let's not join NATO, like NATO 31 or already 32, when Sweden will become like, oh, 32 members are ready and asking and begging Armenia to enter NATO and Armenia, let's not become a member of NATO. Okay, we all understand that probably Armenia, NATO will never accept Armenia as far as Russia exists, at least in the current form. So, a non-block status, okay, uh, but again, in current in environment, at least, look, this is my assessment, as far as this transition period of global order from unipolar to nobody knows where, there are different ideas. Some argue this will be multipolar, some argue this will be flexible, you bipolar, like flexible, it will be Russia, China, VS, collect the West, while there will be more or less independent actors like India, probably Brazil, some Arab countries, similar to non-alignment movement in the original Cold War. So nobody has clear understanding what will be new world order, but everybody understands that there is no post-Cold War order, unipolar world, and the transition may take decades. Okay, it's already started probably, again, there are different ideas. Some argue that it started in 2008 after the financial crisis. Some argue it started 2001 when there was this terrorist attacks, 9-11. But whatever, still it will take decades. So as far as the process is not finished and we are understand what the rules are, it's a multipolar world, no polar world, uh, fixed bipolar world, I don't know, flexible bipolar world or whatever world is. To speak about Armenia, that Armenia, okay, should leave CSTO. And definitely Armenia cannot join NATO, even if it dreams about. So, okay, I believe that it's a right way to create much more terrible consequences for Armenia. Iran has been very clear and vocal about its red lines. Iran has warned Azerbaijan and Turkey that it will not tolerate any border or sovereignty changes to Armenia. They've also warned Armenia that non-regional actors like the EUMA, the EU mission in Armenia, are not welcome and are a big cause for concern to them. 
Yeah. So how are Armenia's relations with Iran evolving since the Azeri ethnic cleansing of Artsakh in September 2023? Both Iranians are telling publicly, Raisi, anyone who is coming to Armenia, their foreign minister, secretary of Supreme Council of Security, or whatever it's called, they are telling Iran is against geopolitical changes in the South Caucasus. Our government, or many of our experts, I don't know why, but interpret this statement, Iran is against any geopolitical changes, or Iran will not allow any geopolitical changes, will not tolerate any geopolitical changes. They interpret it only, Iran will not allow changes of Armenia's border, and all we all are becoming very happy. Oh, look, Iran tells it, said, publicly states, stated, is going to state, it will not tolerate, will not allow the change of Armenia's border, Thanks God, we, uh, we are saved. So Azerbaijan will not take Sunik because there is a big Iranian guy. But they forget to mention that when Iran is telling I will not tolerate and I will not allow geopolitical changes, it's not only about change of borders. Yes, it's about a change of borders, but not only. Geopolitical changes means also changes or U-turns in South Caucasus countries' foreign policy, which means that Iran clearly states us said okay guys i will not tolerate and i will not allow any u-turn or shift in armenian foreign policy from russia to the west same way which i will not tolerate only and i will not allow the changes of armenia's borders but if we understand only the first part or accept only the first part go to tehran and say okay thank you uh, thank you mr to supreme leader if of course you can use term mr to supreme leader or whatever we are very happy you will not allow change of our borders and then go to Yerevan and meet with Western officials and say, yes, Armenia will make a U-turn from this dictatorial, very bad Russia. And then, okay, Iranian will say, okay, guys, if you think that we are idiots, sorry, but we have an empire 3,000 years ago. So we are telling you, we will not tolerate and will not allow geopolitical changes, which also means we will not tolerate U-turns of any South Caucasian countries foreign policy, especially including Armenia, because if you are going to make a U-turn from Russia to the West, it means that you will have more and more US and EU in Armenia, and this is a big threat to us. And we are telling you that we are not going to tolerate, and if you will imitate that you don't understand this, and then you will continue to say, thank you, Iran, we are Iranian friends, but we'll do something which we are telling you will not tolerate because this is against our vital interests. Then, sorry, guys, but Iran have to answer. How they can answer, I don't know. But all the Iranian history, starting from probably uh, first millennia BC, shows that Iran and the Iranian nation and the Iranian statehood, the Iranian elites, has multiple ways of answering. So again, Armenia should not at least imitate that, okay, Iranian claims no changes, no geopolitical changes in South Caucasus. It means only no changes of borders. No. It means that also no changes of balance of power in South Caucasus, which means that no U-turn of Armenia from uh, Russia to the West. So let's not imitate or pretext that we don't understand it and we can make a U-turn and still go to Tehran and say, okay, we are your friends. And Iranians will say, yes, Armenia is a good guy. You just make a U-turn to the US and EU. You brought more US and EU to Armenia close next to our border, but we are happy with that. You are good guys. This is not going to happen. Benjamin, since Armenia dumped Artsakh and degraded its relations with Russia, Russia has realigned its strategy in the South Caucasus to have a tighter partnership with Azerbaijan. 
Russia is talking with Azerbaijan to arrange a right of return for Armenians of Artsakh back to their lands. This is what we're reading in the news. Is this a realistic dialogue or just self-serving effort to keep Russian forces in Artsakh? I mean, what Armenians do you see who would go back to Azerbaijan and live as Azerbaijanis? Okay, uh, my understanding is that I hope and I think that no Armenian is ready to go to Nagorno-Karabakh as part as Nagorno-Karabakh is under Azerbaijani jurisdiction as far as the Azerbaijani police, Azerbaijani troops in Nagorno-Karabakh, etc. Okay, if some people will do that for whatever reasons, because, I don't know, they, they have no means in Armenia from social economic issues, or probably they really love their homeland too much and they are ready to uh, live as, a, I don't know, second, third, or fourth sort of uh, citizens, but at least walk in Stepanakert's streets. It's not up to me to blame anyone or condemn anyone because it's too complicated and too personal and it's even ethically will be wrong sitting in Yerevan to tell, okay, you should not do that. But from my perspective, I will not criticize anybody who will go back, receive Azerbaijani passport and live under Azerbaijani jurisdiction, but I will not understand them. But again, from ethical or moral view, I don't think that anyone has any right to criticize them, but we have a right not to understand. Understood. Uh, Hovig, what do you think? You know, I can't criticize people for wanting to move back. It, it, it depends on the level of guarantees provided to them. So I was listening to several interviews, actually, from parliamentarians from Arsaf, and they say that those guarantees have to be ironclad, and there has to be no contact between Armenians and Azerbaijanis. I believe that Benjamin would immediately call a bullshit to the possibility of this ever happening. So, you know, the big conditions put forth by at least representatives of Artsakh are that there has to be some level of autonomy for Armenians. And I don't think Aliyev is ever going to give that. Yeah. And do you think anybody would trust Russian peacemaking or uh, mediation at this point in time? Look, I don't want to say anybody because people can be motivated by different means. And I don't uh, I'm to... primarily meaning like the Artsakh leadership and the Artsakh people themselves, not anybody else. I, I don't care what Pashinyan thinks about this. Well, I mean, if they're, if they're, I, I don't know how to respond to that, but if they're promised huge sums of money, maybe some would want to go temporarily to get their stuff from their houses or, you know, any money they have left over, you know, or golden, uh, you know, I don't, yeah. So I don't think that in reality it would, anyone genuinely would view living in Azerbaijan as a, a long term as a possibility. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that myself. Yeah, and if I add up, I believe we should differentiate between the so-called, there is a concept of short return, as Holik mentioned, when people are coming for one week or 10 days, gathering their belongings, furniture or whatever, and there is this concept of short return, and there are some special guarantees that, okay, you are coming for one week, Russians are there, and etc. So, if there will be some protest to organize some short return, telling that, okay, you can come, you can take your um, things which you left, and etc., maybe some people will agree for this short return, like passing again through this Azerbaijani checkpoint, but if there is the guarantees, maybe some will agree for short return. But for long-term or permanent residence in Nagorno-Karabakh is Azerbaijani, citizen under Azerbaijani jurisdiction, when there is Azerbaijani police, Azerbaijani courts, and when there will be Azerbaijanis all around, it will be difficult for me to understand anyone who will do that. Again, I'm not in a position to criticize. Understood. 
All right. Um, we're going to wrap up here for the day. I'd like to ask each of you if there's been something on your mind in the past week that you would like to share with us. Benjamin, any thoughts? Okay. It's very difficult to share source not directly connected to foreign policy and geopolitics, especially as we agreed somehow that unfortunately some sort of escalation is likely and the, probably the key issue is not any escalation will happen or no, but what kind of escalation like will be limited and what does limited mean? So probably only thing to say is that let's hope. Also, I don't, I hate the word hope in the geopolitics. No, I don't hate the hope in general because uh, hope is uh, one of the basic things in the humankind, but in geopolitics, sometimes it's terrible. But uh, probably as let's hope that at the end of the day, the people who are decision makers in Armenia uh, will not repeat the strategic blunders which they did. Hovig, what's on your mind? So, yeah, I, I want to comment on uh, Keropian, the Minister of Economy's resignation and the subsequent criminal case against him, which uh, raises a lot of questions. The first question that I have is about Keropian's so-called detention. Unlike Pashinyan's opponents like Armin Ashotian, who is still being held in pretrial detention, Keropian just got house arrest. Ashotian, meanwhile, is still being held under strict conditions, even his visitation rights from family members are severely curtailed. So how does this government justify requesting house arrest for Keropian while the investigation phase is still ongoing, which means that it's in the most dangerous phase where someone could influence the process of the investigation, but uh, they use that uh, same argument to keep uh, Ashutian in jail. Now, regarding the supposed anti-corruption fight by Pashinyan, many people who are Pashinyan loyalists might portray this as, you know, hey, Pashinyan is stiff on corruption. Let's remember that this is a third minister appointed by Pashinyan that has been arrested. And I would say that that argument is bullshit because there are several... So let's just take the case, the current case involving Keropian. It's about a company aligned with Alain Simonian's sister-in-law. The fact that companies like this who have close contacts with the ruling regime keep getting nice, bad contracts from the government is common knowledge. It is widely reported in the media. One of those companies, for example, is the company managed by Alain Simonian's brother. The company is getting huge contracts to lay uh, asphalt, and it's a, a huge contractor for the government of Armenia ever since the so-called revolution. And just last week, we talked about a huge scandal related to campaign donations to civil contracts. If this is true, then that means that the highest levels of civil contract, including Nikol Pashinyan himself, were aware of these uh, instances of corruption. Meanwhile, over the last six years, the number of civil contract backpacks, that's their own term for their parliamentarians, who have suddenly become rich, reporting multiple houses, flashy cars, and unexplained gifts valued at hundreds of thousands of dollars, have mushroomed. So if you ask me, I think the claim that Pashinyan is strong on corruption is uh, bullshit. But what is the real reason for Keropian's arrest? Is it to cover up all the things that are going on on the border? Is it to uh, maybe look strong in terms of the future elections that may happen? That, I think, remains to be seen. But it's definitely not about Pashinyan being strong on corruption. And just a reminder, we have several opposition political members, opposition politicians still in jail on brutal, uh, in brutal conditions, on inhuman conditions, I would say, for crimes that haven't been proven. All right. We're going to leave it there for today. Thank you, Benjamin. I really appreciate the time you spend talking with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. 
All right, that was our show today, recorded on February 18, 2024. We've been talking with Dr. Benjamin Boosian, who is a senior fellow at APRI Armenia, a Yerevan-based think tank. He's also the chairman of the Center for Political and Economic Strategic Studies. I'm Asbet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. Please find us on social media and follow us everywhere you get your Armenian news. The links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.